Hi, everyone. Welcome to Chiropractical, brought to you by the Miles Away Business Credit Card. My name is Chick Herbert, and I am one of your co-hosts. Thank you for your tremendous response and support of our prior episodes. Chiropractical is a podcast about chiropractors for chiropractors. At NCMIC, our motto is we take care of our own, and this is just one more way that we demonstrate that. Hi, everyone. This is Melissa Knudsen, also a co-host on Chiropractical. And through these episodes, we will bring you specific and actionable information you can apply to your practice. Today, we're joined by Dr. Stephen Gould. Dr. Gould is a board-certified chiropractic radiologist and operates a full-time radiology clinical patient practice. In addition to that, he's also on the NCMIC Speakers Bureau. So we're really excited to have him. Welcome, Dr. Gould, and thank you for being with us. You've seen a lot over the years in your practice, and I understand you have a few cautionary tales to share with us today. Let's start with the first story that you'd like to share. The first case, I think she was A at the time. She presented with the low back pain and right gluteal region pain. She also described some off and on left hip pain and left knee pain. The mother thinks that the pain began approximately one and a half year prior to her coming in to see us. Now she is unable to perform gymnastic exercises and can't do much physical activity due to her back pain. Before that, she was a blue ribbon gymnast. They noted on the intake forms that she had been to a specialist and diagnosed with hypermobility syndrome and Sjogren syndrome. The mother records on the intake that she has shoe inserts from her pediatrician and her pediatrician, who's an osteopath, adjusts her about every other week and she's still in pain. She presents an activity history of gymnastics for a year and a half, but not since the last October due to pain. The patients described some headache, left arm soreness, left rib soreness, but that bothered her after playing at the church with some games with her brothers. Cervical range of motion was full without pain. Lumbar flexion was 80 degrees with pain and sore on returning to standing or returning to neutral after flexion. So we bend over at the waist and then stand back up again. And that's kind of a finding for young kids with those stress reactions in their low back. Right rotation was not painful though. We have all of our kids when we do physical exams for school, sports, we make them do a squat test with their heels on the floor and keep their heels on the floor when they squat all the way down. And lots of junior high kids especially can't keep their heels on the floor when they do a squat. So it tells us that they're very tight in their calves and a lot of times hamstrings. So that's a good just range of motion test. And she did show tightness in her lower extremities. And we do what's called a hop test. We'll either have them stand in place and minimally bend their knees and hop up, but then land on their heels. So it does jolt the spine. That should not be painful though. Some of these kids, especially with the stress reactions, have very sharp pain when they do the hop test. When we look at our athletes, when they're running and jumping like a basketball player, they'll run down the court. They can feel that foot hit every time that foot hits the floor. They'll notice back pain, just that jolt. So she had a positive hop test with increased pain at the lumbosacral junction on the right. She was very similar to our teenagers that we look at with our sports evaluations that have stress fractures in the back, but she's just a, a younger patient in that realm. We also observed her trying to walk or attempt to run in the clinic. We had her go in the main hallway and she didn't walk correctly. You could see that she had an altered posture trying to protect her back. One can tell she's having pain with faster walking. We took x-rays 
is due to young age, you got your indications for x-ray and the inability to even get a quick walk in. She's had other types of care and no evaluation of her spine before. And our positive orthopedic tests like the HOP test, which makes me curious for a stress reaction, plain x-ray is the way to start with that. If we do think it's a stress fracture, then MRI is going to be the next test to go from there. When we did get the x-ray, we looked at it and there was an increase in density or pretty opaque appearance of the top of the sacrum. And so then we sent her on in for MRI examination subsequent to uh, better evaluate that marrow change or the density change in the bone. At this point, what were your thoughts? Did you have any theories at this point? The things that you worry about most for a kid of this age range is an osteosarcoma, which is a malignant primary cancer of the bone. And the other thing would be maybe a chordoma for a tailbone type of cancer and the stress fracture. When we get the MRI, we see that marrow change and I'm the one that did the reading on the MRI. So I had to use those those same conditions in my differential and get her referred out to someone. When we referred to the medical folks, they biopsied the sacrum and the spine where it actually showed up as altered marrow on the MRI and it was a normal biopsy. It was unremarkable, but they went ahead and performed a whole body bone scan at the hospital and found out she had a hot spot in her left kneecap. And so they went ahead and biopsied that left kneecap, her left patella, and then they came up with the diagnosis of Langerhans cell histiocytosis, which is not a very common disorder at all. There's several different conditions that are kind of remarkable in that category, just not common at all. It's a hyperproliferation of white blood cells in our body, and they kind of stack up and alters the bone and causes pain. They treat them essentially with chemotherapy medications. I've talked to the parents just a couple of weeks ago, and she's actually in full remission now with her treatment. This was uh, kind of a surprising case that way with uh, a very rare disorder, but she is in the age range on the, the imaging guidelines for musculoskeletal pain and back pain. The imaging guidelines recommend not x-raying everyone for mechanical back pain, but that is in the 20 to 50 age range. We have to remember there's a specific age range. We have different conditions that affect different people at different ages. Our teenagers, if they're having back pain, it might be a good idea for imaging. Over 50, now you've got osteoporosis, different pathologies, more frequent cancers, and now you've got another reason to take an x-ray for someone with back pain. We just need to do our own work, do our own good examination. We can't rely on, oh, they were just at their DO last week and they got adjusted. That doesn't, it's not going to cut it. And she had very remarkable exam findings. I don't understand how the other practitioners went past that, unless I guess her condition is just developing and getting worse in the meantime when I saw her. Then sure. it was over a threshold to notice it. I don't know. Those other docs are really busy too, but that's not an excuse either. When you look back, if you had done things differently, had chosen not to take an x-ray, how do you think this all could have played out? I don't think I could have even done that with this case. She had crying level pain on the table. And in in my practice, I'm not going to do something to make someone cry, especially a little eight or nine-year-old girl. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. We'd have had to refer her out to do something else or chase down someone else to get some images for her. In that respect, you worry though, if I would have gone on to care for her or do some manipulation on her, she had changes in her and we'll show those images on the uh, webinar and they'll see the changes in the sacrum and at L5. That just gets pretty scary. Mm-hmm. We don't adjust that forceful anyway, but you still think about a pathologic fracture. That softened bone, it's not normal bone. And there could have been some other nerve damage that could have occurred. And mm-hmm. then you could permanently injure someone. 
For chiropractors listening to this, what are some of the signs and things that they should look out for when they think about their patients and deciding what path to proceed with? Range of motion limitations, also how they present and move off and on to the table. When a person can't sit up straight from a table, like doing a sit up and sit mm -hmm. up straight, that's indicative of a compression fracture. We have to watch for those types of limitations of movement. That'll be another key to get an image. In kids, the hop test. It's really that holistic looking at all the different pieces of the patient. Exactly. She's a lucky girl. She got referred. <laughs> Dr. Gould, tell us another story. A young lady, I think 26 years of age, when she came in to see us, she had a new six weeks old baby, no history of back pain, but she came in to see us with episodes of sharp pain with moving the baby around on her intake form. She circled six to seven on her pain scale. So underlying ache and then sharper pain with movement, rolling over in bed is painful, lifting objects other than the baby, moving and turning are things that aggravated her pain. No numbness or tingling, no falls. I think it was natural childbirth. There wasn't any surgery involved. She noted an aspirin a day because she had a stroke from birth control pills at age 21 and luckily no residua from that. So aspirin a day, prophylactically, she was still on her prenatal vitamins. That was the only things that she listed on her intake form as far as medications or supplements she was on. We did our examination and her range of motion was limited on extension. I think it was 70 degrees flexion with pain and that she could not do a sit-up type maneuver from a flat bench and was painful. We tested her on flexion distraction table and her table that we have in the office and she could not tolerate that movement. It was too sharp. That was out and we did some electric stim interferential therapy on her. No history of trauma. For the first couple of visits, we didn't get, to get an x-ray. Then she came back in and same pain level and same acute pain with movement. So we went ahead and got plain film radiographs and they were unremarkable. We didn't see any compression. The pain continued. We saw her a couple more times for electric stem and it's like, let's see what's going on. So the plain film was negative, but on the MRI, we had slight superior plate depression and bone marrow edema at L1, L4, and L5. Then in discussions with the patient, discussing the, the MRI with her, it's like, okay, why does your back look like a 70-year-old lady here? You've got three compression fractures from no trauma this looks like an osteoporotic type pattern. What's going on here? Pregnancy by itself is a risk for osteoporosis because you can develop osteoporosis with that alone, but then also medications, corticosteroids. I'm asking her, what other medications were you on? She said she was on Lovenox, which is a low molecular weight heparin derivative for 11 weeks to 36 weeks of the pregnancy. She was on heparin until just before she came into the office, she stopped taking the heparin. We did some research on heparin and pull up an article from 1980. It's been known for a while. Heparin-induced osteopenia in pregnancy is the title of the article. And it was done at Caring Hospital in London by some endocrinologists and an orthopedic surgeon. And now we find out, yeah, heparin can induce osteoporosis during pregnancy. That's going to accentuate that process. Now with the physical demands of lifting a baby, of course, they use car seats now that double up as everything. Nobody uses an umbrella stroller anymore. 
Now we're hauling yeah. around those big old car seats. <laughs> You're carrying around 50-pound uh, chunks of kid and car seat mm-hmm. at the same time. That alone these... will make your back hurt. Exactly. She was like, well, why am I having pain now? Etiology is from increased activity with lifting the baby, bending over, lifting her out of the crib with weight and all this added weight. And then there goes the, the compression fractures because of the weakened bone. It's a type of insufficiency fracture. And sent this information on to her obstetrician and her primary care doc and talking with them on the phone. It's like they'd never heard of it. I'm like, how is that? I mean, don't they read the warnings on their medications from 1980? We've seen her and she's had another baby. Her next pregnancy, she did not take any prophylactic blood thinners or anything like that. She did just fine. This is an example of plain film radiographs are needed when we're have those altered exam findings and that plain film radiographs aren't the end all to beat all for our diagnosis. These compression, the super plate depression that we could see on the MRI slices, you cannot see them on the plain film and they'll see that in the webinar. And then we have the bone marrow edema that we see on the MRI that of course, plain x-ray doesn't show edema. Just another one that lets us know that sometimes, even though we have good negative plain films, still might be something else we need to look for with advanced imaging. On your intake form, you asked what medication she took, and she was truthful in what she was taking at that moment. But of course, it was those medications that she had taken just prior to her visit. So any lessons learned there? That was a pretty good little light bulb for myself. It's like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, because they think in now time, when they're filling out their form, and maybe we need to have another extra question for us to ask, of course, that's always on us. But mm-hmm. hey, anything else relevant in your history, like steroid therapy from a condition before avascular necrosis can be related to that in several situations. It's just another piece of the puzzle we need to kick in there. And remember, let's look at past medicines as well, or that you've maybe recently been off of. I know the statin medications for cholesterol, the way they affect our ATP production in the cells. I know those people can get pain in their upper extremities, shoulders, and legs and have leg pain with uh, statin medications. And they can be on them and fine for years and then add a new blood pressure medicine or maybe add another type of medicine that they're for another condition. And now their physiology changes and now they're symptomatic from something. So Again, how are they combining their medications? Of course, we're not going to take them off of their medications. We're going to have them discuss that with their prescribing provider and maybe help shed light on some interactions. We're good for that as well. What may have been the outcome had she not come to you and you had taken these x-rays? If she'd have gone through the standard medical model and not come into the chiropractic realm, I guess you want to say it that way, then her PCP would have probably referred her to a physical therapist. And that makes me worry because the exercise probably is not the best thing for these compression type fractures, especially in a weakened bone state like osteoporosis. They don't have the ability to order imaging. So they wouldn't have gotten the plain x-rays. They'd had to refer her back to her PCP, or maybe then she would have gone to a spine doc. And I think she would have had a protracted period of time before she even got diagnosed. Mm -hmm with these compression fractures, and then had more pain and suffering from just the treatment before they got the diagnosis. That's a big problem for us in chiropractic. We get failure to diagnose 
is a reason we get in trouble sometimes. We've got to do our job, our good exams, good history, get imaging when it's required, and then get a diagnosis and then carry out a treatment plan. And a treatment plan might not include manipulation. This lady just needed rest and somebody else to lift the kid for a while. That's good advice too. It's not always an adjustment. Could be some other things that are necessary. Dr. Gould, what can people expect to learn on the webinar? We'll go briefly through the history on these, and then I'm going to go through the images on both these cases and probably some other similar type cases like the spondylolysis. We'll refresh some of that. I'll talk about a little bit more of the medication. I'll show the references for the medication information, share some information, the breakdown of the Langerhans cell histiocytosis or the histiocytosis X type of disease phenomenon. We'll go through those things in more detail. If our listeners want to take a look at the film, take a look at a more complete history, that's a good place to check out is that webinar then. Correct. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Gould. And for those that are interested in getting more information on the webinar, go to our website at www.ncmic.com forward slash resources. This is Mike Whitmer with NCMIC. Each episode of Chiropractical, we're taking your questions and having experts provide answers. We call this segment, Ask NCMIC. Today's questions focus in on licensing issues. We've asked Dr. Carlos Bogosian to join us. Dr. Bogosian is president of the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Boards and practices in Connecticut. Dr. Bogosian, welcome to Chiropractical. Let's dive into our first question. Over the past year, doctors of chiropractic have been finding new ways to serve their patients and communities. Many have turned to telehealth and have been visiting with patients online. When practicing telehealth with patients located in states where the doctor's not licensed, what do doctors need to be aware of? Mike, when practicing telehealth with patients located in other jurisdictions, doctors need to be aware of the regulations governing chiropractic practice in both their own jurisdiction and that of their patient. In many states, the practice of chiropractic is considered to occur in the state where the patient resides, not the chiropractor, meaning a chiropractor must be licensed in a patient state. And in every jurisdiction, standards of care, and of course, criteria for appropriate documentation and conduct requirements remain unchanged regardless of the delivery method, whether it's in person, on a virtual platform. Mike, telehealth is a big concern for our member board, and it's a practice that will continue to expand. I just recently established a committee that is actively working with licensing boards to research and recommend model regulatory language on this issue. As in all of our model language, we're always striving for the best balance between public safety and reasonable oversight. Thanks for that. Next, I'd like to ask you about travel to treat. With the passage of the Sports Medicine Licensure Clarity Act, it's become easier for doctors of chiropractic affiliated with sports teams to travel with their teams and provide treatment. Does this legislation effectively open up licensure for doctors to practice full travel to treat, or are there limitations on the scope of the new law? Mike, thanks for bringing up this issue. At our 2019 annual conference, we actually had legal counsel from one of our member boards give a great analysis 
of the Sports Medicine Licensure Clarity Act. This act is very specific in its intent. It is only for healthcare providers who have written agreements with their team or program, who have notified their liability insurance of the terms of the agreement, and who are providing care at the event facility. The practitioner is bound by both jurisdictions' scope of practice, meaning any care must be permitted in both states. Both states must have substantially similar licensure requirements, and the practitioner cannot offer any type of health care outside of the event facility. And even with this narrow window, there is gray area, as it hasn't been determined yet how the state's existing travel and treat law intersects with this act. And ultimately, the Sports Medicine Licensure Clarity Act is a very specific response to a very specific problem. And as we always say in chiropractic, Mike, even the smallest steps forward are progress. And as this act gets used and tested, we learn more about possible pitfalls and considerations for broader solutions in the future. Thank you, Dr. Bogosian, for joining us today and answering our listeners' questions. If you found this topic interesting, please join us in April, where our guest, Dr. Kelly Humphreys, will take a deep dive into issues related to sports chiropractic. Also, if you have any questions you would like us to address on future episodes of Ask NCMIC, please shoot us an email at askncmic at ncmic.com. Well, Chick, that was a really interesting conversation with Dr. Gould. It's fun to have a little eye into a patient file every once in a while. It's good to hear the practical side of things and what he experienced. For me, two of the biggest takeaways was that no two patients are alike. And so you really have to ask a lot of great questions. And once you ask all those really great questions and you do your intake form, if the presenting symptoms don't match up from an age or what's on that form perspective, you got to keep asking questions until you can see the full picture. I think I've used this line with one of our other guests, completely different context, but I go back to one size fits one instead of a one mm -hmm. size fits all. I took away the same things that it's important to do your own work ask questions, and if it makes sense, take your own set of x-rays. Well, this has been a great episode. It's a good time to give a shout out to the Miles Away credit card for sponsoring Chiropractical. Our listeners may think that the Miles Away credit card is only about travel miles. While that is something that is included, it's a lot more than that. We've set up a whole suite of options at NCMIC for your credit card needs, and you can choose your own adventure on what you're looking for out of the card, whether it's a low APR do you want to earn more points, et cetera? Those points can go towards all sorts of rewards and not just travel. If you're interested, go to ncmic.com forward slash right for you and take a fun little quiz and it will take you through and determine what card is the best fit for your needs. You can see the show notes and those can be found at ncmic.com forward slash chiropractical. So check that out. And in the past, we have asked for you to please take time to review and rate the podcast. And that may sound self-serving, but those reviews are very meaningful because it will allow us to reach more people as they go out and search for podcasts. So please, if you are so inclined, we would love to have you do a review in addition to providing a rating from the star perspective. 
So with that, we look forward to talking to you again next month. And in the meantime, take care and stay well. Stay well.